This afternoon, we'll be working our way through the final parts of the Heidelberg Catechism on our misery, on our natural state before God. And in connection with that, we'll be reading together from Ephesians chapter 2, the verses 1 to 10. And you'll be able to find that on page 1343 of your pew Bible, 1,343. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The word of God. We'll now also turn to Lord's Day 4. the summary of Scripture that we find in Lord's Day 4 of our Heidelberg Catechism, which you'll be able to find on page 520 of your book of praise. But does not God do man an injustice by requiring in His law what man cannot do? No. For God so created man that He was able to do it. But man, at the instigation of the devil, in deliberate disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. Will God allow such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly angry with our original sins as well as our actual sins. Therefore, he will punish them by a just judgment both now and eternally. As he has declared, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Galatians 3 verse 10. But is God not also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but he is also just. His justice requires that sin committed against the most high majesty of God also be punished with the most severe, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, today we are once again, by the grace of God, able to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Our Lord Jesus Christ instituted the Lord's Supper during the celebration of a Passover, and it was meant to be for his disciples an act that would be done in remembrance of him. Luke 22, verse 19. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we tend to be pretty sober about it, and rightfully so. We're commemorating the death of our dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're remembering the awful suffering that he went through because of our sins. 
But do we remember to take part of the Lord's Supper in light of what that suffering accomplished? When you walk up to the front, is your taking part in the Lord's Supper just a memorial of someone who suffered 2,000 years ago? Or is there more to it than that? Today, as we look at the final part of our misery in that part of the Heidelberg Catechism, we're reminded again of the same question. It's good to dwell on our miserable state, to examine the reasons for it. But do we remain here? Today we'll be examining that under the following theme. The Lord's Supper commemorates a rightful conviction and a gracious pardon. The opening words of our passage, Ephesians 2, dwell pretty heavily on the state that we were in, that we naturally found ourselves in. We read again, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Dead, children of wrath, joined to the sons of disobedience and following the desires of our flesh. Strong words. In Lord's Day 2, as well as Romans 3, we read how now no one is righteous, no, not one. And by the law comes knowledge of sin, which is to say the law doesn't save us, all it can do is bring us to know our sin even more than ever before. And yet we find that despite the fact that we can't keep God's law anymore, God still holds up that standard of perfection. Any who don't obey the law are under a curse. We read that verse, Galatians 3 verse 10. Any who don't obey God perfectly are children of wrath. How is that fair? How can we make sense of this. You young people can imagine it in this way. You're coming to your very first job site at your very first construction job and there's a pit on the property with an orange hazard fencing around it. Your boss says, I want you to work on that house, cleaning up the garbage on this site for a few hours and whatever you do, stay away from that pit. I'll be back for lunch. Well, the moment the boss is away, a friend who's bad company shows up and convinces you that it would be a great idea going down that hole. There are some great things to do down there. Imagine the fun you'll have. At the instigation or encouragement of your friend, you do a running jump, clear the fence, and fall right down into the pit, and you're stuck. At lunch, your boss comes back and finds you in the pit, and he gets angry with you for not finishing a single thing on the job site and for endangering yourself by jumping down that hole. And he tells you that the punishment for that is to get fired. What would your response be? Would you say, my friend maybe do it? Would your boss accept that excuse? Does your mom or your dad accept that excuse when you say, my brother made me do it, or my sister did? Would he accept your saying, of course I couldn't clean up the job site, I was stuck in this pit? No, he would hold you accountable for work you couldn't accomplish because it was you who got yourself into that situation that you're in. 
Well, in many ways, that's the situation that we find ourselves in as the human race today. We were created able to do what God required of us, living in perfection and holiness, bringing praise to Him through our work, through our play, and through everything that we did. We were adorned with the true and wholesome knowledge of our Creator and of all spiritual things. It was a beautiful way to live. It made us able to be perfectly obedient to God's will. We were living in harmony. There was peace between heaven and earth. But we chose to jump into that pit of sin. The canons of Dort describe it like this in chapter 3, 4, article 1. But rebelling against God through the instigation of the devil, the provoking of the devil, and through his own free will, man deprived himself of these excellent gifts and instead brought upon himself blindness, horrible darkness, futility and perverseness of judgment in his mind, wickedness, rebelliousness, and stubbornness in his will and his heart, and impurity in all his affections. Trapped in that pit, we find ourselves unable to get out. And what's worse, we find ourselves going back to our sins, right back to them time and time again. We find ourselves listening to that snake in the garden of our lives time and time again. We know that it's of our own accord that we sin. Sure, it may be our inclination to do so. We're inclined towards sin. But it's still we ourselves who sin. I didn't have to react to my son or daughter that way. I didn't have to make my wife pay for all the frustrations that I took home from work. I didn't have to find my drug, be it a narcotic, an alcohol, social media, binge-watching TV, or playing video games till 3 a.m. Certainly, I felt the compulsion. Certainly, the compulsion may have felt irresistible to me. But at the end of the day, I made the decision. At the end of the day, I bring on myself the consequences of my actions and the results of my stubbornness. Certainly, I feel the effects of paradise lost, and I could blame my first parents, Adam and Eve, for that. But I contribute to that loss each and every day, don't I? And though I may be tempted to shift the blame everywhere else, though I may feel like someone else provoked me in every which way, at the end of the day, I know the truth. I chose to act. I did what I did. And I need to take responsibility for my part of whatever it is. So what's that first step of taking responsibility? It's to bring everything honestly and openly before God. It's to acknowledge my sin. To sit down at the end of the day and confess it to the Lord. It's to recognize that I'm deserving of punishment for it. And it's to recognize that there are consequences for what I've done. Isn't God merciful? We ask. Certainly He is, but He's also just. His mercy doesn't mean that it will be swept under the carpet. His justice must be satisfied because He is a righteous God. And we ought to love Him for that. 
It does leave us in a state of fear, though, doesn't it? It ought to leave us in a state of sober contemplation. But we don't remain there. The very purpose of our being gathered here together today to celebrate the Lord's Supper is to recognize my sin, to confess my sin, and then to come without excuses and with empty hands before the Lord. As we touched down on the forum last week, and as we'll read it again today, focus on these words of the Lord's Supper form that we'll be reading. All this, beloved brothers and sisters, is not meant to discourage broken and contrite hearts as if only those who are without sin may come to the table of the Lord. In fact, it's for truly repentant sinners. For we do not come to this supper to declare that we're perfect and righteous in ourselves. On the contrary, we seek our life outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ, and in doing so, we acknowledge that we are dead in ourselves. Or, as the Bible puts it, as we just read, we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. It's deeply, deeply appropriate that this Lord's Day is brought to our attention before the Lord's Supper. It makes the situation that we find ourselves in all the more vivid and real for us. It makes us all the more aware of our need for what is represented by the Lord's Supper. But we're not to remain there. Rather, we're to draw our eyes back to Scripture, back to the passage that we read today. But God, those two beautiful words, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we have been shown God's mercy. In Christ, we have received the grace of God that should have gone to Christ himself for the perfect life that he lived. And our Lord took on himself the wrath of God. Our sins came with a price. And we remember that today. But Christ was able to bear that price. There was a tribunal We were rightly and justly convicted. Sins of youth, sins of yesterday, even sins of today and tomorrow were held before the tribunal of God. But our Lord Jesus then stepped off the bench and said, I will bear it instead. And every stripe of the whip, every moment on the cross, every second suffering God's total wrath and ultimate rejection, all that was to pay for our sin. All that remains is to believe. All that remains is to trust fully that He's got your back. And that brings us to the final part of our passage today. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Encouraging, isn't it? By grace we're saved. By grace we find ourselves in Christ's camp because he came down to earth in order to make a camp for us to be in. Apart from Christ, we are all indeed miserable sinners. We remained dead in sin. But for the sake of the one who bore the wrath, God looks down from heaven and sees you now, made alive in Christ and washed whiter than snow. Do you feel today that you are a child of wrath? Do you recognize all too well the feeling of being mired in sin, of rightfully being convicted? If you are truly repentant, come to the table of the Lord in repentance and faith. See the bread broken and take assurance in the fact that his body was broken for you. See the wine poured out and once again be filled with confidence that his blood was poured out for you. And then rise, be encouraged, ready to enter into this new week again, forgiven and washed whiter than snow. With the words of Jesus ringing in your ears, go, sin no more. Sin no more, not because your salvation relies on it, but because of what he has done for you. Sin no more because he has healed you of your transgressions and redeemed your life from the pit. Find courage for that from this supper. Celebrate soberly, but also celebrate joyfully. And face this week with renewed joy and strength, armed by the Holy Spirit and led by your Savior into the battle that lies ahead. Amen.